0: Matthew chapter, um, we're going to definitely get through all of Matthew 24, that's my goal. Um, And I think we're going to begin to get into Matthew 25, we'll see how far we get. Um, But I actually, it's kind of in light of, I will confess, um, some national events, but it's also... I think it's a good opportunity uh, for us to give some clear biblical perspective, and it's a good opportunity. Most of you know, we have Hurricane Sandy headed our way, um, which I'm believing is going to be very minor. Yes, the city of Boston has declared it a state of emergency, uh, you know, prepping for those things. Um, but there's a couple of things that we're actually going to talk about as far as biblical perspective of the day and the hour in which we live. But also, our response to it as believers and as individuals. Um, And basically, for those of you that are here today, you guys have probably all heard the passage of Scripture out of Matthew 24, quoted probably endlessly. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and pestilence. I mean, it kind of gets quoted... On and throughout. And so there's a certain understanding of what the last days, and for everybody in this room, you may have a different understanding of what the last days is, but I'm just going to say this to you whether you believe that we are like 20 to 30 years away from the return of Jesus, or whether you think that we're 100 years away from the return of Jesus, it's very clear biblically that when it was prophesied in the book of Joel that in the last days I will pour out my spirit, it was prophesied in Joel. But actually, what was prophesied was in part fulfilled in Acts, the outpouring that we see. And so, just so you know, it is is—it is a very, very uh, trusted fact. It's not something in theory that beginning in the book of Acts, the outpouring, it was the beginning of the last days. Now, I understand for some of you, like, that's a long dispensation of time. And it is. But it, it, our, what we need to understand is that a day with the Lord, his perspective of time is very, very different than ours. So when we read the Bible, you need to understand that anything after the outpouring of the book of Acts was considered the last days. So for anybody here that's kind of like, she's using the term last days, does she think Jesus is coming back this year and the Antichrist is in our midst? Like, I'm not saying any of those things and I'm not putting time frames on anything, but I will say this, I believe that we are to live as though we are the generation of the Lord's return. I'm not saying that we are, but we live with that kind of watchfulness and sobriety of heart and spirit, and we apply the word of God that way to our lives. Um, And that's biblical truth, because even Jesus said that. He said to live as though you are that generation. Um, So if you turn to Matthew 24, we have several passages of scripture that we're all very acquainted with. In verse 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Now... The crazy thing is, is this last verse that I just read in verse 14, for those of you that are here kind of in our prayer sets, understanding that we definitely are believing that in one generation that the gospel could be preached, specifically even this geographical location, because the nations of the of the earth come to Boston, that there could be a release of the gospel to the ends of the earth um, But not only like in a prophetic sense, just so that you understand that there is many, many mission societies and missions groups that are basically saying that we are very, very, very close to the gospel being preached to every tribe and every tongue. We are closer in this generation than ever before but meaning the speed and the swiftness by which the gospel is being preached Mm. it's not necessarily because it's a year later that more people have heard it's moving more swiftly and more violently throughout the earth Mm. so that understanding is it is extremely exciting it there and hear me there's the promise that god has given that before the return of jesus every tribe and tongue will hear the gospel of jesus christ Mm. that is a beautiful promise I mean, it reveals his heart and his nature, his kindness, his mercy, and his passion for humanity. It's such a a revealing of who he is. But really what I want to focus on today is in, in, in chapter 24, basically what we see is there's a picture that is painted of the last days. And many of you, I mean, how many of you know we have Hurricane Sandy, some tornado mixed in the mix of that, and then the British Columbia experienced a 7.7 earthquake last night. I mean, there's just, what we are seeing, not just in America, but in the nations of the earth, is the earth is groaning with expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. That's truly what's happening. It is the earth groaning. Um, But with that, this is really what I want us to understand from a biblical perspective, is we see this painting of the end times and and the circumstances that will take place. And then actually, if you jump down, um, kind of don't want to take too much with verse 19. Um, Let's just go down a little further. For false Christs and false prophets, this is verse 24, will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive even if possible. Um, The very elect, see, I have told you before, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in in the desert, do not go out, or look that he is in the inner rooms, do do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will, will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory and He will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four corners for the four winds and from the four corners. Um, And then if you actually jump down onto verse 37, it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in a field, one will be taken in the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken in the other le- left. And then here, he paints this picture. He's painted basically a picture all through the, uh, verse 42. And then we have the conclusion. Verse 42 is, watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that in the, the ma- if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Basically, what we have here is he's, he's painted a picture. He's used all verse 1 through 41 to paint a picture of the day and the hour of the last days, but also the day and the hour of the Lord's return. And then his conclusion is watch. That's actually the word that he uses in watch. And basically this, um, you don't need to turn there, but this whole passage and context is, um, when, it's, when, when it's reiterated and given in the book of Mark, it's actually Mark 13, and it's around verse 32, but I actually like the way that Mark articulates it, and with the detail, he goes through all the same accounts, and then this is how he actually draws a conclusion. Verse 32, Mark says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says, Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the, the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to you all, Watch. There's actually three times in Mark that the closing of his plea, basically, is he says the word watch. And he actually specifies watch and pray. And we actually find this all throughout Scripture. There's multiple, and maybe later on hopefully we can get to it, but there's multiple places in Scripture where that is actually the counsel and the wisdom and the conclusion that is given is watch and pray. And actually, what I love is where he even talks about, um, as the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. There's several things that are depicted in Scripture and very clear understanding. And basically, for those of you in the room that, like, when I read even the, like, kind of the state of the world scene at the coming of the Son of Man, when you kind of sit there and go, okay, what happened to the greatest revival in the history of man we've all been praying for? This is what you need to understand biblically, is that all throughout Scripture, but also world history. It's, it's at the same time that there is difficulty, hardship, tribulation, challenges. There is the release of God's glory simultaneously. It comes in the midst of it. Let's think about it this way. How many of you guys are familiar with um, the story of Elisha? You guys familiar with um, 1 Kings 18, Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel is considered actually one of the greatest revivals that ever took place in history. Such a massive open display of the glory of God. It's extraordinary. But if you actually think about the landscape and what was taking place when the inbreak of the glory of God came, it was utter devastation. Elisha lived during the, the, the rule of King Ahab. It was said of King Ahab that he did more wickedly than every king before him. So wickedness was reigning supreme in the highest place of the land. But how many of you guys also know there was a famine in the land? There was a drought and there was a famine for three years. I mean, just, just envision us as a people experiencing drought and famine. That's difficulty, that's hardship, that's perplexing, that's all of those things. But in the midst of all of that, you actually have the story of Elisha going to the widow, who literally all she had is a small little bit of oil and a small little bit of bread. I'm sorry, meal. And basically she offered it to Elisha. She gave that sacrifice and a miracle was done. Her dead son was raised. You see miracles in the midst of famine and drought. And then from that, you actually see Elisha goes to Mount Carmel. He challenges the prophets of Baal. I mean, it is like the most, I, I love how we take the Bible and we read through it like, and then the prophets of Baal, they did it, and then and then Elisha. You know, we it's such a distant reality to us. When honestly, in reality, if any single one of us was standing up there with the prophets of Baal, And he actually went to the measure of doing such great challenges of digging a trench and putting water in it and doing the whole thing. Basically, the impossibility. And then when he says, where is the God of Elisha? When he begins to call upon God, God immediately comes with fire. I mean, it's extraordinary. Never in the history of mankind has there been such a display of God's glory and such a turning of people's heart, such a confrontation of good and evil, such a challenge of light and darkness clashing in one moment. It's there. I mean, you actually even find this in the days of Moses. Think about it this way. Moses being a type and a shadow of what we will experience in the last days. It wasn't that there was... And I, I hear me, I am believing and praying for godly leadership in our country. I'm not saying that I don't have faith for that. But Moses' situation was not that there was godly leadership. It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was ruling. I mean, the whole situation is devastating, it's difficult, there's plagues coming upon the land. But what we actually find is the provision and the miraculous power of God upon the children of Israel. I mean, my kid right now is like so into the story of Moses. And honestly, every single... I mean, we read it multiple times a day. I mean, we're, we're in the story of Moses right now at our house. But it's amazing to me because every single time I read it, I literally sit there thinking, I cannot even imagine being at the Red Sea and seeing it part. I can't even... I don't know if I'd be able to walk through it. I'd be like in, in awe and wonder going, this is crazy. You know, I mean, just the absolute, obviously they were running for their lives. They, they would have been killed if they didn't. But I mean, just think about it. I mean, I don't know if any of you have seen the awesome children's illustrations of literally, like we're talking hundreds of feet into the air, a wall of water on both sides. Think about the ocean parting. And it says they passed on dry land. I mean, it's outstanding, but they saw the provision and the power of God in the midst of even being pursued by their enemies. It wasn't in the, in the perfect circumstance. It wasn't because all of the enemies had been leveled. They needed to see the power and the manifestation of God's glory. And so what I want us to embrace and understand as a community is the biblical understanding is we are praying, we are believing, we are contending, and God has, it's a biblical promise. We're not asking for something that God has not promised in his word, that there will be a great outpouring of his Holy Spirit. It is Habakkuk. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. That's our inheritance. That's what we're believing for. But we also need to embrace and understand even, not just biblical history, world history reveals. How many of you are familiar that during the Civil War, it was in the midst of Civil War that the armies were experiencing revival? That is extraordinary. That is absolutely, oftentimes we actually think that somehow it has to be the perfect environment, climate, and atmosphere. And then God's going to, like, show up on the scene. How many of you guys are familiar? Um, You can turn there if you want to. But how many of you guys are familiar with Isaiah chapter 60? I don't know how many of you have studied it very closely. Years ago, this was, like, the passage of my, my life. But this is a picture. This is a biblical picture for all of you. This is Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold... The darkness shall cover the earth, a deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around you and see all who gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters, they shall nurse at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned towards you. It kind of goes on, but it paints the picture and the understanding that as darkness covers the face of the earth, that it's in the midst of that that the glory of the Lord will rest upon you. And this is really what I kind of want us to move even forward into. Is at, we've looked at uh, Matthew twenty four briefly, and we've looked at the picture that is painted of the last days. And then we've actually looked at the conclusion that's given in verse uh, 42, watch therefore. That, that's his call, was to watch. And the beautiful thing about Noah is it was in the, I mean, it was a wicked, wicked day. It, literally, it is said that there was none righteous found other than Noah. Crazy. That's Crazy. I mean, so many of us, I mean, in your work environment, in your school environment, you feel like the only one righteous (laughs) in that environment. You're like, everybody's corrupt, everybody's, you know, you look around. But in Noah's day, it was the Lord that said there was none righteous other than Noah. And then here you, you find this man in the midst of wickedness. The Lord speaks to him to prepare. That's what he spoke. He spoke to him to prepare. And guess what? Just simply because Noah heard God's voice, responded and obeyed. I mean, literally, the, the, the entire human race, basically, was then populated through Noah's line because he was spared. I mean, it's an extraordinary... So if you jump down, that's uh, verse 42 is where the call is given, watch therefore. And then when we move on, actually, to chapter 25, I love, you know, because the word of God is broken up by chapter and verse so that we can distinguish and we can find it in the Bible so that we have, like, a chapter to identify it with, oftentimes we break it up and we categorize it. That somehow, this is a story that took place in, in one section of Israel he preached, and then, like, 20 days later, then we pick up in chapter 25. And there, I, But actually, this is one continual Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. He's giving an understanding. And then Jesus goes on to say in chapter 25, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened. He's going on to give this understanding of the kingdom of heaven in the last days. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil, no, no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept and at midnight A cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there not be enough for us and and you. Go, but go out rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13. We, actually, we literally have the same exact verse that was in chapter 24, verse 42. So we, we saw the picture of the last days, and the conclusion in verse 42 was, watch therefore. He gives this parable and this understanding of the wise and foolish virgins, and he concludes it with the same exact words, watch therefore. For you neither know the day or the hour which the Son of Man is coming. In verse 42, it was, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I mean, he's giving a very clear, and the extraordinary thing is he didn't go through like a whole litmus test of what you need to do. You need to do this, and then you need to do this, and I want you to do this, and then it looks like this. He gives you one word. It says, watch. Watch. And basically, honestly, it is the same Greek word in both of those passages, but that same Greek word is used multiple times throughout the New Testament. It's not just in this passage of scripture, but his call, and what I love is the simplicity of it. Is This is your charge. Your charge is to watch. And basically in watching, there will be the preparedness of heart. There will be all that you have need of. This is what I want us to understand out of um, Matthew 25. I just want to go over some very, very fundamental things before we move on. In verse 1 where it says, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Now what we need to understand is all ten of the people that he was speaking about, virgins in, in the word of God, is likened to those that are spiritually chaste. He's using the analogy of a virgin because they're spiritually pure. It means that they're set apart. It means they are the redeemed. That's what it means. So they're virgins. So this is the bride of Christ, those that are spiritually chaste. He goes on to say, who took their lamps. Now understand, they all had a vessel and they all had a vehicle by which that light at one point was shining from them. I mean, there's some people that actually will specify this, to It's a ministry. Like, they actually had a ministry that they were functioning in. But to the broader body of Christ, which is all of us, is that there, there is a light, that we, we've been equipped with a lamp, that light, that we would bear light. So there's the lamp. And then they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. And basically, now this gives the understanding and the defining of what it is to be wise and what it is to be foolish. And then the conclusion, I actually before we get to the conclusion where it says in verse 10, and while they went to buy the bridegroom came and those who were, were ready went out to meet him. And the word ready, literally the understanding of preparedness. That there is a preparedness of the heart that each one of us is responsible for. I mean, oftentimes I think I think where we have kind of the biggest confusion in the body of Christ is sometimes we allocate to God to do things that somehow we think he's responsible to do for us when there are things that he's entrusted and he's made us responsible for. And vice versa. Sometimes we're taking upon ourselves things that we think that we're responsible to do and accomplish where God has said, no, that's the finished work of the cross. That's my job and I've done that. It's the understanding what roles he has given to us and there is a place of preparedness. And this this parable even really reveals that as far as those that were ready and those that were not. And the interesting thing is that when it specifically says at midnight, the understanding is number one, it was a dark it's a dark hour. It was a dark hour and it's a late hour. And it's the understanding that in the dark and the late hour, that this is where it transcribes. And I want to give to you guys the understanding of actually the word watch here. The word watch literally means, number one, to watch. But it's, a, it's, given a, it's giving strict attention to, to be cautious and active. Now, mind you, this is in a spiritual sense. So all of us, when we're, when we're going through some of these things, we're not talking about you know, being cautious, active, fearful, those things. We're talking as far as the posture of our spirit before God. And mind you, he's married the words watch and pray together. It's the watchfulness of our spirits, of the place of beholding the Lord. So it's specifically to watch. It's to give strict, strict attention to, be cautious, be active, to take heed, lest through remission, or, um, and it goes through serious, several um, scenarios, but through some destructive calamity, you are suddenly overtaken. Basically, that place of when we're not watchful, something transpires that we're overtaken by. It literally means to rouse from sleep. So when he's giving this, both of these times that he's giving this charge and he's saying, watch, he's saying, be roused from sleep. And actually, in this sense, the reason that the word sleep is is used is because oftentimes in the word of God, when the analogy of sleep is used, it's actually in relationship to death. It's that you're sleeping, and it even talks about at the coming of the Son of Man, those that are asleep, meaning those that are actually in their graves, will be brought forth. It's this understanding that sleep actually denotes a place of dying or death. And what he's saying is arise from that place. He's literally saying to rouse from sleep, to be awake, to be active, to give strict attention, to be cautious and active. And I love this word. It's to be vigilant. Vigilant. The word vigilant, I mean, in, 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 the, in the rawest sense of it, actually, all of you are probably familiar in 1 Peter, where it says, be watchful, be vigilant, for your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That, that's the context of vigilant, is the watchfulness of the heart. Um, specifically, I actually wanted to make sure that I gave you guys... Um, You know what, for those of you that have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be, let us watch and be sober. This understanding of soberness. I'm just going to read to you guys. First Corinthians 16, 13 it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Colossians 4, 2, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Um... Actually, Luke 21, 36, well, 36 is actually what I'm going to focus on, but starting in verse 34, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that the day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. And then again, you guys are all familiar actually with um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just the the, the late hour that it was. And it, once again, in every translation of that, it's watch and pray. The charge to watch and pray. And really what I want to highlight to us is, I mean, forget about Sandy. We're entering into a time and a season and a dispensation, honestly, that there is going to be continued national and international hardship and difficulty and with that for the saints and the people of god i mean even as we when we began in matthew 24 he literally used the words basically to take heart and do not fear he used the words do not fear And basically in the midst of whether it may be earthquakes or tornadoes, I mean, all of us even know as far as nuclear war and the talk of things internationally, we have elections coming up. There are so many things that are changing really on the scene for our our nation, but the nations of the earth. But the understanding, I I say this to my husband all the time, is that I know that if we don't stand with preparedness of heart, when the day of hardship comes, we'll find ourselves in panic and fear. That's ultimately what will happen, because when there's chaos and other people are disturbed by things, you'll end up taking part and being a part of the same. But when you come to a place that your heart has been prepared, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the blackout for weeks on end or whatever it may be, there's a certain amount of peace and safety that you can find, not because of circumstance, but because of the Spirit of God within. And that's actually what we find the charge to us As far as being wise virgins, as far as being the chaste bride of Christ, it's to get oil. And the oil is the oil of intimacy. The oil is cultivate a life before God. I I tell people, I've been saying this for years, the time to hear the voice of God is not in the time of crisis. It's time to learn. And cultivate a life of what it is to hear the voice of God. So that regardless of... The Lord may send you to a third world country. The Lord may send you to very dark and difficult places. Hopefully, that would, be, that would be the ambition and the hope. That the Lord sends us out so that we're equipped to stand in the midst of adversity and difficulty. And His glory and His light can rest upon us. But in order for that to happen, we have to cultivate a life and a vocation and a discipline of hearing the voice of God prior to hardship and difficulty. And really what we find, the charge that came in 24 and 25 was watch, therefore. Specifically, Mark used the words watch and pray. That the wisest thing that we can do is keep a spirit that even like it says in Thessalonians, that we don't get weighed down with the cares of this life and get distracted from cultivating the first and the foremost place of priority, which is the place of watching and praying. Um, let me just see before we move on if there's any specific. Um, one commentator wrote that Jesus' Jesus's primary emphasis in Matthew 24 as well as 25 um, is his pastoral advice in, in light of coming unprecedented de- death toll. This, this particular commentator was actually writing about how the, what's given an account is the death toll that came upon because it, when it's talked about the days of Noah, If you think about it, Noah was the only one left standing. He was standing in the midst of the human race, basically was wiped out at that point. And what he's actually saying is it's pastoral advice. And this is Jesus giving pastoral advice. And his pastoral advice is watch. Or in other words, what the word watch means is develop a deep inner life in connection with the Holy Spirit. This seems impractical to many. However, If we do this, then we will receive instruction, strength, and supernatural courage to face anything. Watchfulness is to establish a lifestyle of encountering Jesus. It is essential in hindering Satan as the thief from stealing our inheritance. Our primary inheritance is our heart connection with Jesus. And that understanding, even in Matthew 25, where it speaks about the thief coming. And actually, I should... Let me just wrap up and make sure that this particular passage that we um, we had read. I just want to make sure that we covered it thoroughly. When the instruction was given in Matthew twenty-four verse forty-two, watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that the Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known that the the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allow his house to be broken into therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect and what this is speaking about is specifically the thief coming and that if he had known that the thief was coming that the understanding is our greatest inheritance his house symbolized an inheritance Mm -hmm. that our greatest inheritance is our life and our relationship with jesus christ And that if that is neglected and we are not watching over the place of cultivating a life of hearing from the Holy Spirit, communing with the Holy Spirit, staying in connection with the Holy Spirit, that if that is taken from us, that that is actually what it is. It's the thief that has come in and has robbed us and we have not been watchful of our inheritance. And that our greatest charge is to watch and to pray and to take that posture. And in the posture of watching and praying that we hear from the Lord and we're directed by the Spirit of God. I want us to specifically close out with a word of prayer. God, we come before you today, Father, and in- God, as we live in a generation, Lord, that even aside from prophets, Lord, speaking and declaring the word of the Lord concerning America and the nations, God, we just recognize that, Lord, even scientists and meteorologists, Lord, are are preparing the earth, Lord, for unprecedented weather patterns and chaos to be unleashed. And, God, we ask you, Father, that even in this day and this hour of... um, of relative peace, Lord, that we would be those, Lord, that gain a biblical understanding and a biblical perspective. God, we say, Lord, that any place that we have not rightly understood what it is to expect and believe for unprecedented outpouring and revival, but understanding, Lord, that oftentimes it comes in the midst of difficulty and hardship. God, we just say, Father, we ask, Lord, that we would be those that are completely unoffended with your ways. God, we confess to you, Lord, that in our humanity, God, even with our humanistic nature, God, that we would love, Father, to believe that things will only increase in improvement and and everything will just continually escalate to get better. Lord, that would be our utopia of what we would desire and long for. But, God, we recognize, Lord, that because of the pride of humanity, God, that oftentimes it does take measures of devastation and difficulty, Lord, for us to, Lord, bend our knee and return to you and embrace your ways. So, God, we ask, Lord, would you deliver us, God, even from humanistic ways of thinking, Father? Lord, that somehow, God, we want it, Lord, to be all easy and rosy, Father, instead of having an eternal perspective. Lord, of even praying in agreement with your heart, God, whatever it takes for a nation to return to righteousness. Lord, whatever it takes for us to embrace, Lord, your ways and your wisdom and your law, oh God. God, I ask, Lord, any place that we as a community... Lord, that we are even more a fruit of the enlightenment. God, the enlightenment understanding that everything is progressively increasing. Lord, rather than the fruit of a biblical context of understanding that deep darkness will cover the earth, but God, your glory will rest upon your people. Lord, that you will shine in the midst of darkness. God, we take hope, God, even in the life, God, of Elisha. God, we take hope, Lord, that in a dark, and a difficult and wicked season, Lord, that you raised up that man to reveal your glory and to manifest, Lord, even awakening in a nation. So, God, even now, God, we ask, Lord, amongst this community and all across the city of Boston, God, we say, stir awakeners, oh God. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would call men and women, young men and women, Lord, even into prolonged seasons of prayer and fasting. God, I ask, Lord, that when days of darkness and difficulty are found, Lord, that you would find those like John the Baptist that are a burning and blazing lamp in the earth. Lord, find those that you can reveal your glory and your manifest presence through God, we say we are not looking for perfection outwardly, but God, we are looking for those sons and daughters, Father, that you can display your glory in the darkest of hours. God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, would you raise us up, God, as as the wise virgins. Lord, that above all else, Father, that it would be the getting of oil and the oil of intimacy. Lord, that we would cultivate a life of communion and fellowship with you. God, we just say, Lord, we don't want to be those, Lord, that are found. God, that a, a thief has come into our house. And Lord, it robbed us of our inheritance, God, which is a heart in communion and communion and a place of connection with you. God, we say that that is the supreme issue. Above all else, Father, that we're found in relationship, that we're found in fellowship with you. So, God, we ask, Lord, that any place that distractions and cares of this life, Lord, have robbed us from being wise and cultivating that place of communion with you. God, we return, Father, and we even take heed. God, we want to give ourselves to watch and pray. God, that we would be a watchful people. I just want to speak to anybody in the room specifically. When I was just praying about watchfulness, this is what I'm going to say. A true sign and a witness of being watchful is that you will not be fearful. If you find when certain things are, like when we talk about earthquakes or things like that, if you find a place of fear, grip your heart, or even that you you despise the thought of that. Really what it is, is it's because we have fear of the unknown. But when we live from a place of being watchful and in communion and fellowship with the Spirit of God, there's the peace within that regardless of outward circumstances... We know that we'll be led and we'll be governed, we'll be guided. And it's even having peace with the ways of God. God, we ask, Lord, even now, Father, God, that peace, Father, would be the, the earmark of every area of our life. God, that in our homes, God, in our dorms, in our apartments, God, that we would be governed by the place of peace. God, we say, Lord, that some men may trust in horses. Some may trust in chariots. Lord, that nations trust in military power and economic strength. God, we say, Lord, that we only trust in the name of the Lord our God. we say that there is no safety in finance or in military strength. But God, you and you alone, Father, are the safeguard for a nation and a people. God, we also ask today, Father, that as much as we love our nation, God, that we would not have even a false sense of patriotism, (coughs) God, of even denying that in ways that God might judge or discipline us as a people. But, God, we say our allegiance is not to America. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And we long for the fullness of your ways. God, we say, Father, come. God, and reclaim, God, this nation that has been dedicated and consecrated unto you. God, reclaim that which is rightfully yours. God, we believe, God, that you have a jealous heart, Lord, over America. So, God, we say as a good father, God, do whatever is necessary that we would return to you with our whole hearts. It's interesting, I think sometimes we think that whether it's economics or different things, that somehow the Lord is, like, disciplining us as a nation. There's a particular prophet that a long time ago, he actually gave a word, and he actually spoke about, like, basically major power outages over the whole nation. I won't get into the detail of what he shared, but he basically talked about, like, internet, communications, everything being shut down. And I thought it was so interesting, because he actually said, he said, and when the Lord does this, this is not a judgment upon sinners, he said it's because it's the only way he can get the attention of his church. That we've just become so intoxicated and addicted to so many external things to keep us busy and occupied and constant being inundated with information. Whether it's through news sources or social media I mean, the, uh, the ever array of things that we fill our time with. But yet the place where it's as if we completely refuse to willfully shut those things off and return to the place of prayer. So he actually has to intervene in order to say, Okay, it's all going to be shut down. So that finally you can take a moment in silence and look upon me again. God, we just ask, Lord, that even in the day and the hour in which we live, God, that we would be a people that willingly and willfully turn our attention towards you. God, we just ask, Lord, all across this nation, God, even today, God, would you even sound the alarm, God, would you declare This word that even over and over throughout your word, take heed, watch and pray. Take heed, watch and pray. God, that there would be a mass returning to the place of prayer. God, we say, Father, make us a people that are watchful. That our spirit is awakened. God, we ask, Lord, everything that has deadened our spirit to your voice. God, every place that our spirits have been lulled to sleep. God, in apathy, in despair, in in distraction, through entertainment. God, even just, even the analogy of Noah. God, eating and drinking. God, every place, God, we have been more fascinated with the filling of our physical stomachs. Lord, rather than the filling of our spirit with more of you. God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, as it's Sunday, God, in the, in the nation of America, God, we ask you, Father. Lord, would you draw the hearts of men and women, Lord, to yourself. God, we ask all across this nation, Lord, that televisions, Lord, would be shut off. Lord, that families would willingly, Lord, bend their knee, Lord, carve out time just to wait upon you and hear your voice. God, we say we value you above all else. God, we ask, Lord, that in the simplest form, God, Lord, aside from the repentance of sins of the flesh, of the outward sins that we commit, God, we ask, God, that simply the sin of neglecting you and time with you God, we ask, Lord, even now, Father, would you do something sovereign, Lord, across this nation? God, that hearts would be turned to the place of watching and praying. If there's anybody specifically, and don't feel any pressure, but if there's anybody specifically that just as we're praying about the five wise virgins, that you just simply say, I I want my life to be postured in a place of being watchful, of what that is of a spirit that is alive and awakened, that we're not lulled to sleep and even in spiritual death with all of the things that surround us, but we're vibrant and vigilant and awakened and alive in that place.
1: you yes.